first part of the program, we will discuss with our political panelists and analysts what's going on in our world and universe, their world and community, and then we'll follow up with a discussion on the theme. So first and foremost, like always, the way we get started with our party is to introduce to you today our political panelists and analysts for today's program. We first like to bring in Brother Anthony and say welcome to Africa on the Moon, Brother Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father Brother Anthony, we now bring Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki. Currently, African awareness, you might think, of course, institution building. And one of the things that, that you know, I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about, Brother Africa, is that if you look at this historical trend in terms of police killing the unarmed African men, it raises the question in terms of. Uh, exactly how the system operates. Now, we understand the rule of capitalism in terms of maintaining oppression for the profitability of a few, and we understand that. But historically, there is also another piece in terms of the role of police. And let me just elucidate a little bit about, you know, my perceptions in terms of this whole phenomenon as related to uh, the brutality of police. Now, back in September of the year 2000, the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals upheld a ruling which states high intelligence disqualifies candidates from becoming police. The rationale given was intelligent individuals are more likely to remain, are not likely to remain police. This is interesting logic for two reasons. First, the state of the economy over the last decade has been in decline, and unemployment statistics point this out. Unemployment of any type is difficult, particularly one that pays benefits and job security as well. Secondly, the plaintiff, Robert Jordan, secured job working as a prison guard. Certainly, the skills required for prison guards are not comparable to police, so why wouldn't intelligence work against a person seeking employment as a prison guard? Now, historically, the individuals hired to watch and pursue Africans fleeing for freedom from the plantation were poor white men who themselves led wretched lives. The wealthy intent was to instill in these men a sense of responsibility without granting material gains into their lives. John Brown, the white abolitionist, realized the manipulation of the plantation owners to pit poor whites against Africans against each other in order to solidify and maximize their control. The notion of white trash, which was epitomized or established or created coin by the white elites, were tempered, they were tempered, the whites were tempered to see by John Brown, who they perceived as white trash, in a way to diminish the view, excuse me, in a way to diminish the view among the white elites that poor whites epitomized the laziness, backwardness, in addition, intellectual deficits. Perhaps this explains the bias toward intelligence in policing and the insistence average or lower intelligence occupy the ranks of policing. Implication being the lower the intelligence, the more the likelihood such police are incapable of understanding a complex world and the more likely to follow orders no matter how arcane or barbaric. Now let me just briefly state that intelligence, it's important we understand that intelligence doesn't objectively exist. The, the, in terms of defining intelligence, there's simply too many variables to define what intelligence really means. What the, plant, what the elites of the plantation order were actually talking about, they were alluding to socialization. So 
so the position was that if you if you can int- get white folks to internalize enough of white superiority, then they would in turn carry out the, the laws and policies of the state if they perceive those laws and policies being in the, in conjunction with maintaining white rule and control. So the issue becomes one of socialization and not intelligence. Now, unfortunately, the fallacious nature of intelligence and dumb policing is being revealed for the class manipulation it is. Recently, Seattle Police Officer Greg Anderson urged fellow police not to enforce lockdown measures because of constitutional issues. Uh, question, now, of course, question law enforcement hire would certainly result in punitive steps against the police officer. But the mere fact he stated <clears throat> that the problem in terms of the Constitution underscores how law is often lawless. And it points out potentially the abuse of African people, you know, when it comes to law enforcement. Now, the question becomes, what, what, what does that have? What is the relationship to all of this in terms of the African community? And the supposition is very, very clear for the African community, and that is, you know, individuals who socialize to equate skin color with, with value or worth are not in a position psychologically or emotionally to actually uphold the community's interest. And so given that reality, then we have to understand that not only do we have a system in place which is diametrically opposed to the interests of the survival of African people, then we have people who internalize whiteness. And so internalizing whiteness or committed to the idea in terms of brutality of African people. So clearly we got a problem and we got to think about what we're going to do in terms of um, dealing with these, 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 these very complex social problems as it relates to policing in America. So I encourage people to build institutions because those questions must be answered and they must be, and, and, and they must be discussed. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. And again, thanks for having me. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Next, we bring in Brother Brother Maurice. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Maurice. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Brother. Revolutionary greeting, Brother Africa and, and the other comrades on the panel. My name is Brother Maurice. I'm an organizer for Spain, Southern Living and Ethics and I'm also an organizer for PRC and African Revolutionary Socialist Party. Thank you for being for having me here again tonight. All right. As panelists, as you know, um, we're going to discuss what's going on in your world and community, then followed by the theme Unite Forces in Motion, but where is it going? So at this point in time, let's just start off. What's going on in your world and community? We'll start off with you, Brother Anthony. Okay. Uh, several uh, several things. Um uh to start it, to start off with um uh let's see the um uh, the murder uh there have been uh, various rebellions taking place in uh heavily populated african cities throughout the u s in response to the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis last monday and uh these uh uh, or demonstrations, to be more precise. In some cases, uh, rebellions have broken out in various cities, and or, demonstra- or demonstrations against uh, police repression uh, throughout the U.S. Uh, you have uh, various uh, political forces, uh, you know, trying to exploit the emotions of Africans for their own ends. And we're probably getting into that more tonight. Uh, Also, uh, Iran has sent five uh, gasoline tankers to Venezuela 
to deliver gasoline uh, to the people of Venezuela. And uh, and uh, that is in defiance of uh, the uh, the U.S. blockade against Venezuela. And uh, the U.S. has uh, been sending secret messages to governments around the world and shippers around the world as well, not to uh, uh, not, not, not to defy the U.S. blockade, or they may face sanctions. Okay, thank you, Brother Anthony. Next going by Brother Haki. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world in the community? You know, Brother African, I'm going to ask the uh, panelists indulgent because one of the things, you know, um, I'm very concerned about the relationship between the violence inflicted upon the citizens in the U.S. and the violence inflicted upon people around the world by the U.S. by the U.S. imperialist government. And so clearly, you know, one of the things in terms of you know maintaining this in, this, this imperialism. It's a very expensive endeavor, and so we talk about the innovation in terms of all kind of weaponry for the sole purpose of, um, of better ways or more effective ways of terms of destroying people. And so one of the things that there is a downside in terms of building these weaponry in terms of destroying people, because ultimately what happens is that the, the U.S. government ends up destroying itself and the planet as well. But I want you to listen to this real carefully, something I was thinking about. Now, now the struggle to maintain U.S. imperialism is expensive, if not deadly. Nine countries currently spend $80 billion yearly on maintenance of nuclear waste, with the U.S. spending close to half, or $36 billion yearly, according to the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. The $36 billion was, was supplemented recently with additional $5.8 billion in 2019, it has been documented repeatedly explicit dangers nuclear weapons represent not just the human life, but the planet itself. The sort of history of nuclear waste in the U.S. is informative. In 1967, in Weldon Springs, Missouri, a former nuclear disposal site was responsible for fog mutations, increased cancer level, and contaminated groundwater. This site was designated a Superfund site in 1980, but despite this designation, the site, excuse me, the same issues persist today. Perhaps because of nuclear waste and its impact relatively early in its infancy and much was unknown. However, when similar problems arose in the Westlake landfill some years later, ignorance was no longer a viable excuse. In addition to ecological devastation, it was reported underground trash fires burned for seven years. These fires demonstrate not only the, the volatility of nuclear waste, but the extreme temperatures that radiate from such fires and the toxic fumes that emanate from such underground fires. Response from the federal government was to downplay the incident. Like in the real plan of action, the federal government's response was to spread the problem around. Originally, there were 21 nuclear, nuclear waste sites in America. The plan was to create 100 additional waste sites in more than 35 states. While this plan was symbolic, it did nothing to address the intrinsic problem of storing nuclear waste. By placing 80,000 metric tons of nuclear waste per state, officials only compound a more complex problem. The more complex problem is managing excuse me, materials with lengthy shelf lives. Uranium, according to scientists, has a shelf life between 1,000 to 10,000 years. Plutonium, a byproduct of uranium, has a shelf life, according to some scientists, of 82 million years. While this number is disputed, most agree, certainly uh, the half-life of plutonium is at a minimum 24,000 years. Now, the possibility of containment leaks Underground fires implies life is precarious and the impact on the planet demonstrably immeasurable. 
This is the reason why the INF Treaty, or the Intermediate Range Nuclear Force Treaty, came into existence in 1987. Unfortunately, the treaty was discontinued by the current administration by destroying that treaty to open the floodgate to nuclear arms proliferation. More nuclear weapons, more nuclear waste. What can, what can, human, what can humanity do? Now, why is this important to the African community? Number one, these super, 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 super fun sites disproportionately are in African or Hispanic neighborhoods. Uh, in fact, one of the real dangers is that the EPA, the Environment Protection Agency, designated the Superfund sites as not, quote, un, not under control, end quote. In other words, since 1944, the federal government has been very, very clear in terms of the toxic effect of being exposed to, these, to, to nuclear waste. So there's no mystery in terms of the kind of deformities, the kind of birth defects that result as a result of being exposed to um, nuclear waste. Now, the health impacts, uh, along with health disease, respiratory disease, we talk about a problem in terms of mental, mental retardation among children. So when we talk about 50 million people in the U.S. who live within three miles of Superfund sites, and unfortunately, this disproportionate number of this 50 million disproportionately is African people. Now, the problem is, thirdly, is there's no real re- re- legal redress. Now, the federal court historically has dismissed over 59% of the plaintiff's concerns when it comes to environmental concerns. When it comes to environmental racism, the cases were, were dismissed at hand. So clearly, uh, the question to environmental racism is something that the federal courts, uh, the current administration, is not willing to entertain, even though uh, the um, exposure you know, to nuclear waste disproportionately impacts African people. Now, in addition to this, in terms of federal companies, federal courts' refusal to 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 to, to uh, charge these companies with crimes, uh, Trump ha- and, excuse me, Trump is in the process of ending the civil rights section of the Environmental Protection Agency, which means that there is no there's no legal there's no compelling reason legally for the EPA to even get involved in terms of cases when it comes to people being poisoned or children being born with mental retardation as a result of being exposed to nuclear waste. So there's, there are no options on the table. So the question for the African community, for people of color who are exposed to these sites, the question is, what are we going to do? And it seems to me that certainly without some, some enlightenment, some understanding in terms of fundamentally, the real danger that nuclear sites, these nuclear waste sites pose, then that's not conceivable for, the actual, to take a, for people to take a stand. So I encourage people to get about the business of understanding precisely you know, how these Superfund sites impact their health, the life of our children, uh, the safety of the community. So we have to have organization in terms of achieve that, and I'll close with that. All right. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Next we go with Brother Barbies. What's going on in your world and the community? Well, as as we are witnessing now, <laughs> a lot of things are, are going on in the uh, African world and around the world, period. The first thing I want to speak about is uh, 51 years ago, on July 11, 1969, uh, Ralph Abernathy, um, activist who worked with Dr. Martin Luther King, he led a protest of uh, 500 Africans down in Florida at Cape Town. Uh, uh, bear with me when I struggle with this pronunciation. At, uh, at, I, I just say at Cape Canaveral or at NASA, at the NASA space launching to try to put a man on the moon in 1969, 500 Africans. He protested. The protest was about um, about America use of capitalism. They have money to build, you know, spaceships and some of the minerals that uh, 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 
Brother Haki was just speaking about, some of the mineral, minerals that were, that were exported from Africa were used to make this event happen. Um, the movie Hidden Colors had had out had had basically outlined African or African women um, participating or contributing their knowledge uh, to this event. But like I said, 51, 51 years ago, this was taking place. And if we were if we remember uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's speech um, about the triple about the three evils, he he said militarism, um, what was it, um, militarism, racism. And I believe, uh, you know, uh, materialism. I believe, uh, home. Materialism. Sorry. Materialism. Okay. Materialism. Materialism. Exactly. So, and, and and in that speech, he talks about that you know America got money, got all this, got money to penetrate the oceans, the ocean waters, the ocean floor in the waters, and to, to penetrate the the space and you know and the planets out of out of space. So this was. Uh, Ralph Abernathy following Dr. King's work. Now, in connection to present-day time, yesterday, um, during all of the rebellions going going on around the country and around the world, America, again, uh, in Florida, launched a rocket uh, into space while we are, you know, like, while we are dealing with this system of capitalism. They, we got people of homelessness. We got, we got, we got, we got, uh, you know, homelessness, we got people dying right here in America, police, but they don't want to address that. They're still taking the time out to, um, you know, send a, a rocket or, or send a man to the moon or what, whatever happens. So that's one thing that's going in. The, I want people to be on a, on the lookout of that. That's what that's one thing uh, that is going on in the world when we, you know, when we're dealing with these rebellions. Um, another thing is, I'm sorry. Before I get into that, another thing uh, I want us to, to I want to spread the word is um, right here in Virginia. Um, I sent the web. I, I sent, I'm sending the website out. It's a it's a um, it's a petition for inmates, our Africans in jail. We're trying to get them uh, PPE protection, uh, personal protection equipment um, for them being you know to, to combat this COVID-19 in the jail. If you please check out the website NewVirginiaMajority.org. And it's a link on there to direct you to the petition, so you can sign. Um, the goal is to get 500 signatures. Right now, it's at 100, 120. But if, you, if you're listening out there, please um, tune up, uh, check out uh, New Virginia Majority dot org and click that link. And I conclude with the final thing that's taking place in our world is in Palestine. A Palestine, a Palestinian man with autism was shot to death by an Israeli. Uh, for police, um, after they, after they, you know, the, the, the brother was 32, 32 years old. He was on the way to school. He was, you know, he was a special needs student, and they, you know, and they shot and killed him. After shooting and killing him, the father of the thirty-two-year-old stated that uh, Israeli police stormed into the house, raided the house, and uh, became violent after uh, the victim's sister cussed him out and told him, you know, told him get out, get out of the house. So this is what what we going on uh, along with African brothers and sisters getting killed, thrown out of buildings in Canada or where, where, wherever is that, uh, Baltimore, California, Haiti, Brazil. You also got brothers and sisters in Palestine um, getting shot and killed as well. So and they are connecting that shooting with the uh, struggles of of Africans in America, and so they are, they are connecting that struggle. Um, as the article stated, they are in that struggle with the uh, masses of people who who are being murdered and massacred here in the hills of America. So those those are what's going on 
in the world in the world currently, and I conclude with that. Okay, to listen to audience, you listen to Africa on the Move right there with that first segment of what's going on in your world and community. If you have any events that you'd like to share with us, please call in at 323-679-0841. Please hit 1. We will acknowledge you. We have a call moving online. We're going to bring this call in. We're going to acknowledge your last four numbers. We would like to know what's going on in your world and your, in your community. You can bring in call on 9435, call 9435. Welcome to Africa on the Move. What's going on in your world and the community? Thank call you, on. Brother Africa. <clears throat> thank you, Brother Africa, and thank you to your audience. Uh, of course, we're here faced with the current situation that's engulfed the world and happened rather quickly, and I'm not talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about the fact that the masses are in the street all over the world, not just in the U.S., but throughout the U.S. It was a straw that broke the camel back in Minnesota with Brother Floyd. And out of that, it just mushroomed throughout the U.S., and now throughout Europe and Africa and the Caribbean. And we can see the effects of that in that in the midst of a pandemic, racism and violence against people of color does not stop. And I think that it's important for us to just take a brief casual look at this question of violence because it has been violent from the beginning. It didn't start yesterday. It didn't start 30 years ago or 100 years ago. U.S. was created in violence. Dr. King is correct. He said that the United States was the purveyor of violence. H. Rutt Brown is also correct. He said violence is as natural and American as cherry pie. But when you look at it, it started with the fact that one of the most violent acts in history was the attempted genocide of the red man, the genocide of the red man. Added to that was the fact of the theft and murder of millions of Africans from the continent who were transported here for their labor. And the labor was accumulated in violence. It was violence that allowed them to steal our labor, and they continue to do that today. So when you talk about violence, violence, America thinks, is her domain, is her prerogative alone. When the police kills us, that's an act of violence. But it's all right because they're doing it. 
But when the oppressed also sees the weapon of violence, it becomes a problem. And everybody is excited. And they bring in the National Guards and rearm the police. But that's how the police got armed in the first place. In the 1960s, in the 1960s, when our people rose up in revolt and burned these cities to the ground, the response of white society was, we need more police, we need law and order. And not only that, but also the fact is that the use of the police as a occupied military started in the 1960s when the police began to be armed with used Vietnamese weapons. It continues today. You know the deal. You know what the special task force is. You know that these heavily military armed police are here for one thing, to ensure that the maximum amount of violence can be inflicted on us and we have no recourse but to take it. So, of course, they would say, we didn't expect y'all to ride, but since you ride, it will, you know, charge one police with third-degree murder and let the other four float, which means they will all get a job in St. Paul's next week. We want to be clear that violence is neutral and that the people who inflict violence on us must realize that we can also inflict violence and that on the pressure we have done it like anything on the pressure we exploded and I'm here today in Oklahoma City. We just left a major, major Black Lives Matter and police brutality demonstration outside the Napier Roots bookstore, which I can probably, on the count, the people here somewhere close to three to 4,000 people. Last night, they marched on the police station in Oakland City, destroyed several police cars, including, I think they burnt one. But this is unfortunately a reaction. It is spontaneous and it's really unorganized. Now, there is some violence that's taken place by the maybe the white left, probably the white right, probably the Republicans, who knows? But that is minor. And I don't think that can really take away from the spontaneity and the anger that our community is feeling right now. So it behooves us, it becomes our job to turn this anger, 
into concrete organization that will lead to our liberation. We we beseech everybody to help with that. We know that several cities are on the lockdown. There's curfews in Chicago, curfews in Minneapolis, curfews in a number of cities. But so what? We were under curfew for the coronavirus when we took to the street today, yesterday, Monday, Tuesday. And again, it does not really help us to do anything other than let off steam unless these mobilization, this anger is turned into concrete organization. I impeach you. I beg you. Please, join an organization. Join an organization that is struggling for our people. Okay? Thank you. Carl, we like to thank you for your articulation of what's going on in your world and community. What we can do briefly, um, panelists, y'all would like to respond to some of the things the caller just raised. And then what we can do, we can do something real interesting. We're going to make this a teachable moment. We're going to take a few minutes from Brother Kwame Ture, and he spoke about incidents like this. And when we come back, we'll have a full discussion on this phenomenon that's going on now as we talk about this George Floyd protest that takes place all over the world. Panel, quick response. Caller. Yes, go ahead, Brother Yeah, yeah I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the brother's call and all the things he had to say, and he was so on, he was so on point in terms of the use of violence in the society. But one of the things I think we, we have to be able to understand. So the one thing we, we we systematically have to understand is that when we talk about violence, we can't talk about violence without understanding the, the whole concept in terms of capitalism. One of the things that's currently happening in terms of capitalism is that you you, you have this, this this flow of money, uh, extremely large amounts of money to one percent of the population. This is not only happening in the United States; it's happening throughout the world. And so you have one percent of the world's population controlling eighty percent of the wealth. Everybody else get about four point five percent of the wealth of the entire world. So clearly, there's a real imbalance in terms of the flow of money through the system. Now, one of the problems is that when you have this, when you have a few people having access to large sums of wealth, the money becomes stagnant. The money is no good. It doesn't do anything to expand the economy if, in fact, the money is stagnant. It doesn't flow through the system. But that's the problem with capitalism, because the money is not flowing through the system. It's being, it's, you, it's being, it's being. Uh, you give the money to a very, to a very small number of people, who then have offshore accounts, who take the money, put it offshore, and they hoard the money. So it does not for capitalism, but what it does is that you still have people who want some investments. Uh, so, but the problem is that because there is there is no flow of money, there are no real investments because there's no progress, there's no increase in terms of number of uh, of jobs or, or businesses uh, that proliferate. And in fact, what happens is that jobs and businesses actually decline. So, I mean, the opportunity for investment becomes that much more difficult. So what happens is that the systems in, inevitably try to create some means in terms of making sure to create some avenue by which people can invest in the economy. Well, one of those avenues, of course, is policing. In other words, so when we talk about policing, we talk about providing, you know, uh, the latest weaponry. We talk about the latest spy, spy equipment for the, for the police. When we talk about um, 
when we when we when we talk about um the uh the 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 post police systematic getting away with murder, all of this is geared toward creating a market uh to show that people have some means to invest all their all the all the all the money that they they're getting. And so therefore that in itself is responsible for in terms of the proliferation of police as as such, the proliferation of all this mass killing that is taking place in society. Because this is a market, and people have to understand that. This is a market. This is money to be made. In addition to that, then you got to look at, we talk about the incarcerated in terms of immigrant population. It's all about money. It's all about creating a market, creating an avenue by which the wealthy people who have all this money with nothing to do can use that money to invest to make even more money. So this is a systematic, this is a fundamental problem we have in terms of capitalism. And this is why this problem is going to grow. It's not going to decrease. In fact, as as the one percent have access to more and more wealth, it means that the violence inflicted upon African people or working class people or the immigrant population or poor white people has to has to it has to actually increase. It's not going to decrease. It has to increase because as as the system fundamentally or systematically increases poverty exponentially, then there has to be a cor- cor- corresponding response in terms of those positions of power to actually empower police to carry out murders. To carry out uh, uh, the abuse of, of people of color or, or poor people, so clearly there's a relationship. So there's a corresponding relationship between the kind of the, the capitalism that is being practiced, that the world that, that, that the West practices, and the relationship between uh, the, 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 the the killing, wholesale killing and destruction of, of African working class people, you know, throughout throughout the world. So we have to understand that correlation, that connection between between capitalism and police violence. So we got to be very clear on that. Even in Europe, historically, which they have did a better job in terms of dealing with their population in a respectful manner, even now the European police adopted an American, American way in terms of policing, which calls for more brutality, more dehumanization, or more abuse, more disrespect. And so, therefore, it, it, speaks to the, it speaks to the nature, it speaks to the reality that when we talk about capitalism in terms of 1% having access to all of the money, it means that they have you know, no other choice but to brutalize the population. And this is what people in America have to begin to understand. They think it's, a, it's an isolated incident, that, that George Floyd is isolated. No, he's not isolated. It's very, it's very much part of the system. It has to happen. There's no getting around that. And the second thing is that on, 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 on a psychological level, I think it's important that we point this out. A lot of times we don't for various reasons, but I'm going to point it out. One of the things, uh, Dr. Edward uh, Bruce Bynum, uh, in his book, uh, The African Unconscious, talk about the threatened return of the repressed. One of the reasons why, one reason why the elite, the whites in positions of power, one of the reasons why they continue, they, 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 they're, they're, they're in, in, in lockstep when it comes to the oppression of Africa, because Africa offer, offers an alternative history in terms of how, not only how human beings can, can how human society can be organized, but also relationships between human beings. So it offers a clear contrast in terms of what's going on in the West in terms of the kind of brutality, the selfishness, the, um, uh, the, 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 the abuse, the, uh, the hatred that goes on in Western society. So it offers a contrast. And so what happens is that by keeping Africa out of the mind of the world populace, then there is no way to contrast into this kind of behavior because you see that's natural. You're taught in schools that this kind of avarice, this kind of greed, this kind of selfishness, this kind of hatred, this kind of abuse, this kind of violence is natural. And if you believe it's natural, then you, you act as though it's natural. And so he talks about this concept called the threatened return of the repressed. In other words, 
it's, it, it, one of the biggest fights psychologically for, for, for the white elites is that they realize that when we talk about the origin of human being, what goes back to Africa, they realize that a lot of things they've taken credit for emanated or originated in Africa. And so, therefore, one of the things they realized in order for them to maintain control, the white population must never come to realize that a lot of things that they take for granted, a lot of things that they, they believe and understand emanated or originated in Africa. And so, therefore, when you talk about something like violence, you know, one of the things is that when you go back and, and you go back and look at um, uh, uh, ancient Kemet, for instance, all right, you go back 6,000 BCE, and you look at in terms of people's relationship to one another in terms of, you know, in terms of class. Now, class existed because you had the Egyptian mystery system, and so there's no question about that. But it didn't negate in terms of, in terms of the value of, of human life because they saw human life as being uh, uh, all-encompassing. And so, therefore, what's right for me is right for you. Uh, and this is buttressed by the fact that they believe that um, there is there was this divine force that exists, whether you call him Atan, Adam, uh, whether you call him um, uh, uh, Jesus, Jehovah, uh, Allah, whatever you call him, that they believe that this divine force exists. In fact, one of the things when you look at quantum mechanics today, there comes the realization that there is more to life than what we see. And so, therefore, this is something that hundreds of thousands of years ago Africans, ancient Africans understood and so, therefore, all this inf information must be suppressed in order to validate this insanity that we live. So the struggle for white people is to overcome, is to educate themselves, is to overcome the stupidity, this ignorance, this mindset which says that one human being is superior to another. The reality is we're all the same organism, and that's just the core reality. But I just wanted to point that out, and I, I conclude by saying, you know, I appreciate the, the brother's, brother's statement. You know, response from the panelists before we go to... Lessons from the 6780 yes. by Brother Kwame Duray, and we'll come back and discuss the whole aspect of this flawed protest movement that's taking place globally. Yes, Brother Anthony. Yes, I want to add that uh, that I think the brother was correct that uh, that there is an international response, and I think and I think the reason why it's international is because. Police repression is going on on a global scale, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of Africans in the U.S. thinks think their struggle is somewhat unique. It's not, and uh, wherever there's capitalism or neocolonialism, there is the increased repression by the police. And I think uh, you know, Brother Haki's observations uh, bear that out. Because uh, I, I know in those areas where uh, where the police are adopting the tactics similar to the U.S., there's also an an, an increase. They're also happening in areas where there's an increase in the non-European population. So again, our uh, you know the way in which we're being oppressed is uh, is uh, universal, if you will. And uh, and I think the proliferation of uh, you know means of communication is getting harder for uh, uh, for the uh, for the police to hide the ways in which they oppress African people because we probably would not have known of this had had not uh, someone caught that incident on camera. And, uh, and and made it go worldwide. Brother Maurice, any response? 
Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I didn't mean to cut across your question. I'm sorry. So basically, I just wanted to, to backtrack to, to the caller and just say, yeah, he's right. Organization is key. And, um, you know, it, 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 I would give us uh, as as um, as organizers, organizers and as Pan-Africanists uh, in, in, on, on, the, on the show and out, who's, who's out there listening, uh, I would, we have a, 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 a huge task in front of us to uh, connect the you know the masses who are out there on the streets to to to, to another dip, to another um, higher level of development when we're talking about pan Africanism and and and, and socialism. That's where the struggle at. As everybody just stated, that all of these um, situations not isolated; <laughs> it's all connected. Whether, whether we talk about Haiti, Brazil, uh, the whole continent of Africa. Uh, you're talking about Europe, talking about Notting Hill in Europe, whatever. We're talking about St. Louis, Baltimore. Everything is connected, and uh, I think as 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 a, you know, as Pan Africanists, we have a huge uh, responsibility of of connecting, getting you know, getting out the youth and getting uh, youth who, who are in the street fighting. We 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 definitely have to get them uh, included and organized with their organizations. Cause I know we, we take care organized, but I know we. we I, I think these youth. I, believe, I, I might be wrong, but I, I believe that these youth need some. Um, because I, I was a youth once, and um, you know, it took me. It took a. It took a, 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 a elder, you know, to bring me up to my level of development. So you know, we definitely have to connect with the youth, and we have. We definitely have to uh, show them, uh, or reveal them, or help them get to that level of development. That this is what we. You know, not only the police. Mentality. Police brutality is one aspect to a one arm or a tentacle, uh, tentacle, or uh, however you want to word it, a one arm of the, of the big piece of capitalism, imperialism. We also got to be for neocolonialism that we have to uh, address. You know, in neocolonialism, people like uh, Mayor Lance Bottoms telling people, telling us to go home to vote. And I'm getting tired of, 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 of people saying that our ancestors have for the right for us to vote. We know that is excuse my language, but we know that that that, that is bullshit and, and it's nonsense. Our ancestors did not die for no right to vote. They died for freedom of African people. Straight up, they died for better resources, better uh, treatment, and, and facilities for us to teach and learn and to live in. Um, that's what that's what they died for. They didn't die to vote put those uh, oppressor in office every four years or every two years. They they, they, they did not die for that. That's what the youth and that's what our people who want um who wants to fight, who has the spirit to fight for equality and for freedom and liberation for Africans all over the world. That's that's what we have to get to the point of understanding. So I, I just wanna thank 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 my thank the comrades on this panel and I wanna thank the caller for all of us having, you know, for, for speaking to organizations. Right now I mean, it, basically, if we don't get organized people, it's going to get—it's going to be a repeat of everything. It's, it's just going to be repeating again in another twenty years, five, ten years, four years. I mean, it, it, you know, it's going to keep repeating over and over again until, <laughs> like Thomas and Ray um, says, organization, organization. If we get organized, it's going to keep happening. Thank you. All right, you're listening to the panelists. We're going 
make this a teachable moment. We're going to, next five, ten minutes, we're going to listen to some lessons that Brother Terrain left for us, and we're going to apply this to what's going on right now when we come back. So please, um, listen, Brother Kwame Terrain. We thank you for your welcome. We have been allotted uh, half an hour, and uh, within this half an hour, we are to explain some of the lessons of the movement of the 60s and uh, its relationships of the 80s and relevance to the 21st century. I have picked about uh, five areas that I, I have picked about five areas which I would like to uh, discuss. The first lesson that we can come to look from the 60s and gain is the understanding that the statement made by Abraham Lincoln is a true statement. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. This statement can be understood within the context of United States imperialism and its role in the late 50s. In the late 50s, based on the resolutions passed at the 5th Pan-African Congress in 1945, a decision was made that Africans the world over must create mass organizations and mass movements to confront colonialism in Africa and the Caribbean in the final round and also to confront racism and economic exploitation in the United States. From 1945 to 1960, within 15 short years of this conference, over 230 million Africans were to gain independence. Swiftly following in that wake, the Caribbean was to light a fire with independence movement, and of course, the United States of America itself, beginning its mass movement since the mid-50s with Martin Luther King and the Montgomery boycott, came to show mass movements everywhere. The American capitalist system, in the wake of the independence struggle in Africa, was trying everywhere to demonstrate to countries just struggling against colonial powers in Europe that it was not like the European powers, that it was not racist, it was democratic, it never had colonies, etc., etc. The African masses in America came to put that lie to arrest quickly. Mass struggle inside the country came to demonstrate before the entire world that America was far from being a democratic country. It came to demonstrate, in fact, that countries in Africa were much further advanced in democracy than America ever was. Here, at least, Africans can vote. In America, they could not. One of the lessons, then, that we must draw squarely from the 60s is an understanding that real struggle must be left and must be understood only by the masses of the people. It is the masses of the people who could not believe the lies of America and came to struggle instinctively against these lies. This instinctive struggle must be properly understood. History, of course, is made both consciously and unconsciously. Last month in Miami, Africans came to unconsciously make history by revolting against brutal conditions and pushing humanity forward. But this was instinctive, unconscious, unplanned. Indeed, this is the same aspect of the struggle that we saw in the 60s. 
instinctive struggle. Thus, if we're to draw a conclusion just from this aspect of struggle, that is to say the people struggling unconsciously, unplanned, spontaneously, and instinctively, that since people have an instinctive love of freedom, everywhere they will struggle for freedom. The history of Africans in America proved this clearly. Nowhere have they consciously organized to make advance. All the advances they have made have been unconscious, instinctive, and spontaneous. Certainly you can understand what will happen when these people become thoroughly organized. The lessons then must be clear. Human beings, like animals of the lower form, have instincts. Human beings, unlike animals of the lower form, have the ability to think and reason. The lesson then must be clear. All of our instincts at all times, under all conditions, must be governed by reason. The instinctive struggle of the 60s, the spontaneous struggle of the 60s, the unconscious struggle of the 60s, if they, are served to, if they are to serve to us as lessons, must come to be qualified in conscious movements, rational movements, and planned movements. This then seems to me to be the first lesson that we would have to acquire from the 60s. <clears throat> of course, the capitalist system lies all the time. Some people think it lies some of the time, but it lies all of the time. And in lying, it has an attempt to make us think that in the 60s we were an organized people and everything was all right. We were not organized. We were a mobilized people. Thus are we to get a heavy lesson from the 60s. The lessons must be clear. A mobilized people, really, an instinctive people, a spontaneous people who struggle, struggle like animals. Even if we take the example of Miami, we can see it clearly here. In Miami, we're oppressed, just like we are everywhere else. But we wait until an outside force provokes us into action. Everywhere you will see us, it is always an outside force that provokes the African masses into action, even on the campus here. I told some brothers the other day, you want to organize all the African students on the campus? I can do it overnight. All I got to do is write a filthy sign, derogatory against them, put them on the campus. Next day, they all come to the meeting. <laughs> And one of the errors that must be corrected, a people struggling for their freedom cannot depend upon an external force to push them into motion. They must have an internal dynamism of their own. Consequently, the African masses in drawing lessons from the 60s must come clearly to understand that they must have a dynamism in their hands to tell them when to attack the enemy, how to attack the enemy, and where to carry their struggle. Thus, the 60s must come to be qualified from a mobilized struggle to an organized struggle. We say they fight like animals. You back an animal up against the wall and the animal, even a rabbit, will come out striking at you until you back up. Those Africans, once provoked, come out striking wildly as they do in Miami. The police retreats, give them some concessions, they sit down, and then the police comes back with more repression. None of the gains made by a, by a mobilized people can be maintained. It is only an organized people who can make gains and use those gains to further their struggle. Indeed, the gains made by the 60s, since they were made by an unorganized people in a state of mobilization, have not been used by the people, but in fact used by the enemy against the people. It is clear for the history of Africans in America that unlike others in this country, the history is not the same, entirely different from everybody else. All those who came here came here expecting a better life. An African put on a slave ship from Africa knew he was coming to hell. It's a fact. Consequently, the relationship between the country cannot be the same unless this African has lost consciousness of his history. 
and think that he came on the Mayflower. <laughs> this aspect of organization from mobilization must be properly understood. No individual African in this country makes any advancement based on his individual talents or worth. All individual advancements are based on mass struggle. This must be properly understood and can be properly underlined for you once you know the history of Africans is not the same as the history of others. We make no progress in this country without shedding our blood. No one sitting in this audience can give me one example where Africans in this country have made any progress without shedding their blood. In order for them to get into a filthy five and ten cent store, they must shed their blood. In order to sit on a bus where they pay the same amount as everybody else do, they must shed their blood. In order to get their children into state schools where they pay taxes more than anybody else, they must shed their blood. In order to get the vote which every immigrant gets the minute he comes here, they must shed their blood. Consequently, any advances made by any individual African is made as a result of mass struggle. Thus, that position does not belong to the individual African, it belongs to the people. Failure to use this position for the benefit of the people is a betrayal of the blood of the people. Consequently, when we come to correct the 60s and look properly at the lessons, we must become an organized people who once having made gains are capable of choosing for ourselves who will occupy those gains. They come to talk about some man named Brown who's going to be head of the Democratic Party. Who picked him? Who picked him? Did the African masses in the Democratic Party pick him? Not at all. As a matter of fact, the Democratic Party holds the Africans in great contempt. They have more elected positions than any other ethnic group in the Democratic Party and has no power in the party at all. They have 302 mayors, 20 congresspeople, 5,000 state, county, local, but no other ethnic group in this country has those many elected officials and still they have no power in the Democratic Party. Why? Because we are not organized. Consequently, to transform our movement, to push it to higher levels, which it must go, because we will arrive at our freedom, if even instinctively, we must come here to put ration and clear reasoning to our struggle and organize the masses of our people. The second lesson we wish to speak of is the role of students. Students, of course, have a role in any society, capitalist society, social society, and their role is to institutionalize the values of the given society. Conscious, of course, in a capitalist system, this should be done unconsciously. But students are the spark of revolution. Of course, we make a difference here between revolution and reform. Those who want reform seek to work, I guess, from the top down. Those of us who understand fundamental changes know it must come from the bottom up. The students, of course, always work at the point of ideas in a society. Their job is to acquire knowledge, and of course, this knowledge which they acquired is geared by an ideology which tells them what to do with it. So if you're a doctor, instead of curing cancer, you should turn a man to a woman to get money even though she can't make babies. That was life. Students, we say, at the point of ideas and the point of values. When one speaks of revolution, one speaks of overturning the values of a given society. If one is not speaking of overturning the values, then one speaks of reform. Thus, one can join the Democratic Party. We're not here to overturn its value. But certainly if one is here for revolution and one is here for people's liberation, one would know that a corrupt instrument can never lead a people to liberation at all. Students then, we say, come to question the values of a society. Of course, in relationship to the values, students, just like anyone in any society, have but two alternatives. Either they accept the values or they reject the values. It's as simple as that. 
Of course, if they reject the values, they have a responsibility to find alternative values. But either you accept cheating as a student or you reject it. It's as simple as that. Either you accept any value in the society or you reject it. Students, once having rejected a society, bringing together their ideas and their energies and strength to work against these values connected with the masses always give us revolution. Thus, from the 60s, while a reform movement, we were able to see that students, joined with the masses of the people, came to bring a lot of changes to the country. Thus, we must not confuse ourselves. The job of students is clear here. Their job is to spark revolution. Students cannot carry revolution through to the end. The final triumph of revolution must be carried through to the end by the masses, the workers, and the peasants. But students play a crucial role. We say they spark revolution. Certainly, if we did not recognize this, the enemy did. The FBI, before the 60s, did not have informers on college campus. After the 60s, they put an informer on every college campus in the country. Their job was simple, stop any activity at all that runs against the status quo. We say it's a mobilized people who can allow this, because when you're mobilized and fight like an animal, after you get tired and you wind down, then the enemy comes back stronger than he did before. Students spark revolution, and we must work everywhere to have students live up to their responsibility of sparking revolution. Here, of course, it calls for the students properly understanding the role of knowledge. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Capitalism is a backward and stupid system. Capitalism is a contemptuous system. Capitalism is a system made on profit. It will make a commodity out of everything. It will take my mother and sell her on a slave block. It will make students acquire knowledge and make them sell their knowledge on the slave block to advance themselves rather than serving humanity. The struggle becomes especially crucial for African students. We say no individual African in this country makes any advance unless it is a result as mass struggle. Any student sitting in any seat in any college in America know that they didn't gain that seat through their own individual talents, but only through the struggles of the masses of their people. Thus, that seat belongs to the people. The knowledge they acquire there must be used for the people, otherwise they have already betrayed the people and have repeated errors. I'll lead us off. I think one of the important lessons 
And there were about five that he gave in that presentation. But in terms of uh, the importance of permanent organization and that, and that we can't react to external events. And, uh, for example, the murder of George Floyd was an external event. It had an impact, but but the thing about though the reason why incidents like uh, uh, you know George Floyd keep happening is because we're not permanently organized uh, to act in our own self-interest, and uh, and uh, you know as typical we came out striking in anger, but uh, because uh, let's see. Um, the current, uh, 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 let's see, our generation has not good, done a good job of teaching the youth the, the, the history of our struggle, and that must be taught, uh, uh, you know, everywhere possible. Uh, we're repeating errors, and one of those is spontaneous uh, mobilization, which does not leave the permanent organization. And uh, and and uh, some of the things we fight for are, are end up being used against us. Uh, for example, uh, you, uh, you know, I thought he did, uh, I thought he did, did a very good job of putting the struggle to vote in its uh, pro- appropriate context. And uh, you know, and I think uh, you know that uh, you know voting is a tactic. Just like violence is a tactic in the struggle, and I think it's important that our people are taught that, and that uh, and that also the role of students, uh, you know, they spark revolution, but but they but they can't see it through to the end. That depends on the masses of working people to do that. So we must have permanent organization to bring that about. That's what, those are some of the things I took from his presentation. And Brother Haki, if I can get you to respond to the phenomena of historically he raised contradiction that we constantly continue to do things on an unconscious basis and not a conscious basis. If a human being, in order to protect any gains or defeat any enemy, he used a key word I think we often forget about our struggle. When we're struggling, that word is to plan, to have planned, organized activities, and not unplanned, not spontaneity. Can you speak to that point as relates to you seeing what's happening in today's um, world as relates to our people's struggles? Yeah, well, I think one of the things is there's uh, there are certain assumptions that are being made in terms of people's uh, desire to uh, to organize around that which is uh, appropriate and uh, improper for that people. The problem is that we got a long history in this country, brother Africa, in terms of uh, the ruling elite and and sure, making sure that things like political organization never became a reality for the African people historically. Even when we got to a point where we actually started organizing, a lot of these organizations in particular, when talk, I'm thinking about the NWCP, uh, uh, National Urban League, and so forth, many of these organizations got their start uh, with uh, people outside of the community. And so, in turn, as a consequence, a lot of these, these organizations, uh, their goals and their strategies were misdirected by people outside of the community. So, it's, you know, 
So it, it raises the question in terms of reform. Uh, one of the things is that, once the, you know, as long as people continue to believe that they're citizens, their citizens, their citizenship trumps all other concerns, then we certainly can anticipate people being reformists. And so people who are reformists don't fight the system. They embrace the system. They just want to be a part of the system. And unfortunately, and this is ironic, but we also have in the context of the revolutionary community, we have people who are reformists and who say that they're revolutionary, but who, who policies and objectives are to be or reformists. And so they have no desire in terms of changing, changing the system or fighting against the system. So it's a very difficult problem, a very different uh, uh, irony that we're, we're confronted with in terms of, you know, uh, you know, collectively organizing and understanding that our interest lies in, the one, understanding what the issues are, two, uh, clarifying those issues, and three, standing up and resisting those issues. You know, one of the things, Brother Alfred, you know, when, when you think of terms of the impact in terms of capitalism on the children, one of the things that you see to me, if, if we're going to organize, one of the most um, – easiest things to raise in terms of our organization would be the question in terms of, you know, what is the impact on our children? If the system at large negatively impacts our children, then we have obligation to stand up. But then what happens when that system negatively impacts on your children and the community still doesn't stand up? It tells me to, to a large extent that the community has internalized class. And in other words, the position is that as long as my children, you know, get what they need in terms of education, uh, uh, you know, good food, good housing, and so forth and so on, then all is good. So, therefore, I have no best desire in terms of overturning that system, uh, which, which in their estimation provides the things that their children need. But, of course, in the final analysis, we understand that the reality is that, you know, when you sociologically, when you look at the social economic impact of, these, of, 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 of capitalism on African people, then clearly it disproportionately uh, adversely impacts on the lives of our children. And so it seems to me that that in itself should be enough to energize African people to say, you know what? Even if I disagree with you ideologically, listen, if you come together and we can do something in terms of saving the children, then you know what? I'm with that. But the mere fact that doesn't happen raises, it raises to, to, to some historical concerns in terms of the role in terms of historically, uh, you know, the oppression has played in terms of uh, undermining uh, our willingness, you know, to defend, you know, our self-interest. But also, Brother African, let me just say one, one other thing. Uh, you know, one of the things... You know, Brother Kwame talks about the fact it's important to have students, you know, to um, uh, you know, to lead the struggle. And, of course, that's the way it should be. The students represent intelligentsia. And, of course, if anybody can think and write, it's the students. But there is a fundamental problem in the 21st century, and that is that when we talk about revolution, we have to keep in mind that our adversaries also make moves. And so they also understand. They tap our phones. They follow us around. They monitor what we do. Uh, they monitor who we talk to. They do all of those things. And so, therefore, they have a, a, a pretty good understanding in terms of where, what we're thinking, you know, where we're at in terms of, in terms of ideology. And so, therefore, they make, they make counter moves. They don't stand still. They make counter moves. In fact, they, they organize 25 hours a day, some days a week, 365 days a year. So, so, so what we're asking our people in order to, to, to defeat those odds, then we have to become just as uh, uh, persistent in terms of our desire to be free. Of course, if a reform a reform mentality would never allow people to come to the conclusion, you know, that you've got to be just as organized as your oppressor. They're more likely to tell you, well, listen, we tried fighting back in the 60s, and we didn't win, so therefore I'm giving up. And so you're more likely to hear that kind of sentiment coming from people, you know, who are demoralized, people who believe that, in fact, the situation is hopeless, and people who are unwilling to acknowledge that it's important in terms of, you know, organizing for the sake of our children. 
But let me just let me just say this though. But in terms of the students of Brother Africa, you know, one of the things is that, um, you know, when I talk about the the enemies, uh, the adversary, and I talk about their, their ability to fight back, keep in mind that there's an organization called the American Legislative Executive Committee. I'm sure you know about them. I'm sure the panelists know about them. Called ALEC. And these are essentially uh, individuals who are funded by, you know, uh, the mega rich. But the sole purpose is going around from state to state to organize, you know, uh, state governments to ensure that they become more repressive, or in, in, in layman's term, become more uh, conservative. And so, therefore, one of the things they've done in terms of the universities is that they only now, they only hire professors, by and large, who have a conservative slant. And so the, so the access to information in terms of, uh, you know, being able to contrast ideas is slowly being undermined. So these conservative professors come with the position is that this is the greatest system in the world and there is nothing to critique, that, is, that, you know, that it's the greatest thing. So, therefore, everything they instruct is geared toward, you know, elevating that, that, that point of view. And so, therefore, when you got a student sitting in the classroom being subjected to this day in and day out, and then when you take tests and you expect exams, you expect it to give back what he, what, what the professor gives out. If you don't come from a conservative point of view in terms of that exam, then you're not going to do very well in terms of testing. So there's a philosophical problem in, ter- in terms of you know, in terms of in terms of in terms of our average students. So one of the things we have to do, we have to start as community even prior to the university level. We got to make sure our children understand the history. We must teach the, uh, the, the history of our children. So when they get in the university. Then they understand that this guy is teaching me something that's not fundamentally correct, but I understand the game, so I give him what he wants. But in but in the meanwhile, I understand there is I'm going to study, I'm going to go to libraries, I'm going to make sure I understand the exact opposite of the positions that he take, and so therefore I'm in a better position to actually empower my people in terms of their ultimate liberation. So this is a problem that we're faced by Africa in terms of you know uh, students, in terms of um, in terms of being at the forefront, in terms of the, our struggles. Brother Maurice can probably address this better than I. I've been out of school for a long, long time. Brother Maurice recently graduated, so he has probably more impact in terms of certain a better understanding in terms of this this, this phenomenon than me. But anyway, but anyway, this is what this is this is my view of that, and I I conclude with that. Brother Maurice, he made a statement that you can fool the people some of the time, but you can't fool them all the time. Now historically, we have seen these cases of police brutality. And many times they find ways to still let the police get off. Like this one, they only charge like third degree, um, a third misdemeanor. I think it's a misdemeanor or something. It's like that first degree charge. Third, third degree. degree murder and manslaughter. Exactly. And the question that Brother Teray raised is that, you know, number one, um, in order to maintain um, and control your, your, your interests and your destiny, as we said earlier, you must be conscious, you must be planned, and that's the way you can um, withstand these um, these kind of behaviors from the enemy. From your perspective, Brother Maurice, where do you see this thing um, taking place or panning out? Do you see it as something different, or you see the same old thing? And what do we have to do differently based upon what Brother Tereva raises? What's your perspective on that? Uh, I believe um, Prime Ray he lays it out. You know, you have to organize, and like, um, you know, Brother Hack, he stated, oh, you have to have political education. Um, you know, you, you have to be political, political educated. One, one thing I will point out that I do see, um, that I, 
you know, I don't want to, you know, that I, I would just say the level of development within the Africans who are out there are protesting. Some of the things I am seeing, um, I don't know, uh, that I don't know if it's much different than the, than the seventies or the sixties, but they are parading around the R, you know, the RBG flag. I don't want to talk in the sense of flag independence, but they do have that that uh, type of um, type of level of, of consciousness. They do have shirts and, and, and uh, the working class. They have shirts with stands that uh, you know, African Lives Matter. I seen some of that. So they they are connecting. You know, they, some some aspects of the community anyhow are connecting um, the struggle. For, for for freedom over here work Africa I would say that for the for the least part they are you know they are quoting Garvey they are quoting uh, Malcolm X they are relying on that you know our ancestors who are put in the struggle but one thing I I do not see in relation to the, the elder that you just displayed one of our ancestors who the speech we we heard is promising Ray we need to get the word of promising Ray out more to to um, to the working class and, and to the students. Now, like, like Brother Hackey state stated, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to underestimate the fact, yeah, you have to be, you have to be uh, willing to read, you have to be willing to study, you have to be really, you have to be willing to, to train. You have to, you have to go through a political training, a political orientation, brother. You have to go through that political training and, and, to, and you have to have that discipline um, to, to, to study, you know, if you, to understand what's going on. You have to read, and you have to say you just can't. You just can't react off television and uh, you know looking at news, looking at YouTube. You have to really read, and under, you have to you have to really read and study at this point. Um, there's no doubt about it. You have to be. That's why it's 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 it's, it's um at this point it's urgent for the working class to associate themselves with an organization because one thing that an organization has the first the first thing of any revolutionary political organization. They have we they have study groups. That's the first thing. We have study groups. We have current events, so we can analyze situations of of our oppression, study the his, history of it. You understand what I'm saying? And not just be not just geared to what propaganda tell tell us to, to be you know to gear towards. The, the libraries we we used to have encyclopedias and libraries growing up. I see I see in uh, family households that stuff has has been. Um, has been uh, transitioned out for, you know, for televisions and video game systems, uh, and, you know, iPads, all, all the kids from four on up, or the kids, um, excuse me, was four, two on up or whatever, they are iPads. They're not, you know, is that, I don't even think kids, I don't even think parents these days are reading books um, to their to their kids no more. They just give them an iPad, play on the iPad until they fall asleep. You understand what I'm saying? They play a game on the iPad until they go to sleep. They're not reading the books. They're not reading the books that I that I asked to put here. Children books in the, in, the, in the children format or books in, in general. Uh, autobiographies of, of Malcolm X or Tyrus Four or Kwame Teray, Kwame Nkrumah, people like that. That's sport. So you got to go. We got to go to a political training. You got to have that discipline. Um, but we, you know, we got we got to trans we got to translate that discipline. Um, as myself, it's, it's uh, one. We have this thing of constructive uh, criticism and self-criticism. My self-criticism is not organized and not being in, the, not being too much on the ground, or being uh, not too, you know, being on the ground or being rooted with my people, man. Uh, you know, being an introvert got the got the worst of me, I should say. Being an introvert uh, got the worst of me, and not really being, you know, not really being associated with 
popular or the in crowd. You know, I think they got to work with me because, you know, I don't. We we have to we have to have a connection. We have to be rooted in a community, uh, and we have to be connected to uh, you know you know and respected by the community, and we can get them to understand the importance of organizing, reading, studying, analyzing our conditions, uh, material conditions, and historical conditions. And, and understanding political thought and political thinking, revolutionary political thought. You need an African personality. You cannot, you gotta, you cannot fulfill the African personality without studying and reading the works of Pan Africanists who put the orientation, who put the blueprint right there for you know. And for us, there's no different. Like you, like you said, if you go into, if you go into college, they're gonna, you're gonna study capitalist thought. You're gonna, you're gonna study capitalist thinking. You're gonna read books by Napoleon Hill, uh, promoting thinking, grow rich. You understand what I'm saying? So. We got to read books that 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 that's from uh, our African um, thinkers and leaders, and not only that, George Washington Carver. You know, Booker T. Washington, our scientists. We got to get back to the form of using our hands and combining not combining with political political thinking and political thought with action. You know, or we're building something, making something with our hands. You know, taking. I want to see. I, I want to get to the point of organization where we 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 go on the street and collect. The rubber bullets we collect, the, the canisters, the smoke canisters, and take it home and analyze it, break it down, and make it more powerful. But you cannot do that without a, without a, a clear cut organization to help who who understand that to scientifically break down those things and see what how can we make it better to the benefit of Africans or poor people, poor That's the type of level of thinking we got to get to. And you know that's what that's where it's at right now. I, I wholeheartedly agree with all of the, with, the, with the comrades. Previously stated, Brother Anthony and Brother Hackney. Yes, we have to get to a form of organization, and you know, there's no doubt about it that it has to be. I mean, it, it, it has to be led, led and carried out by political thinkers, revolutionary thinkers who've been trained, who've been, uh, who've been, who went through orientation, political orientation, uh, who understand the struggle. You gotta, you know, like Kwame Nkrumah said, thought without action. Is 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 the thought without action is uh is empty and action without thought is bland. So we gotta we you know we gotta combine the two. But you but you're gonna continue. I mean I I, I know I pull away from your question, brother Lee. But to, to answer your question, where I see this going, it's gonna continue going. It, it, it's not gonna it's gonna go as what we've seen in the previous years, like Ferguson. And it's gonna go the same route that it went. And in 1968, after uh, Martin Luther uh, King was assassinated, and we rioted. Is going to go in the same direction. Before, if we don't have that political clear cut, political revolutionary organization, pan African organization, right there at the a scientific socialist organization, right there at the core, you're going to continue getting the same outcome over and over again. Now, you probably get a little reform, a little band aid, but again, those band aids are going to get old, they're going to get uh, stained, they're going to start peeling off, and then you're going to see. The, uh, the, the the bruises of of, of 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 capitalism or the bruises and sores and the cuts and the bullet wounds of capitalism and police brutality they're gonna come up and show up again and then you have to replace it with another goddamn band aid again the same right aids that got burnt up uh, down down in Richmond Virginia you know what I'm saying you got to go in there to get another band aid to cover that wound up from the previous wound of capitalism that's what a reform going to do and I and I conclude by saying this. When we're talking about voting, uh, like, uh, like uh, in my response to Keisha Lance Bottoms, she said, go home and go vote. But if we vote, how she, how you think she got in there? She got in there by what? Voting. The masses of Africans in Atlanta, Georgia, 
quoted Keisha Lance Bottom into office. All of these neo-colonialists, man. That's what it is. Hold up for what it is. This is neo-colonialism. Kwame Fulmer stated that neo-colonialism is the last stage of imperialism. So if we can, if we can uh, overcome that, that uh, form of oppression, that neo-colonialism, go home and vote. Come on, are you kidding me? We don't vote for her. We don't vote for uh, Obama. And what, and what we get in return? Obama go kill Gaddafi. Gaddafi was doing more for African people than what Obama was doing for African people. Okay? Uh, so, so when we're talking about um, voting, we voting people like them, like, like, like her in there. You know, we voted. We voted them people, those type of people in there. And what are we getting? We are getting the same rebuttal of, 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 of us, rebellion. We getting the same rebuttal. Ain't no different than the, than the who, who was, but the mayor. Yeah, he was a mayor when the move, when the, when the bomb, the second bomb after Tulsa, the bomb was dropped on Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're talking about burning. We're not burning our community. They don't burn our community. They burned our community, communities, our, our little Africa. Some people call them Black Wall Street. They put interstates through our, our little, our little Africa, and they and they and they tear down our community. So don't tell me a goddamn thing about oh we need to go go home and vote and, and you burn down your community. Uh, those corporations, those police police stations. Uh, those commodities—they they are not uh, our property. They are, they, they don't, you know, so that's a certain class. We got our class struggle, man. I can prove with that. I know I, I've been—I went uh, past my time, but I can prove with that, man. Okay, you listen to Africa on the Moon. We have discussion tonight on dealing with this recent phenomenon, what's going on around the world, as related to George Floyd assassination or the protests. Our theme tonight is dealing with forces in motion. But where is it going? We see out in the streets, there are many forces in motion, and like always, you know, we're trying to figure out where will it lead us? Where is it going? Um, our brother who called earlier, number 9435, I would like to hear your concerns on this question of looking at the many forces that are um, at play at this point in time globally when we look at these protests. What is your analysis in terms of who are actually leading these protests? Is it something spontaneous? Are there certain groups? Or is it something planned by the administration? So maybe later on down the line, he can use this as a means to declare martial law and get total political power domination inside of the U.S. What's your take on that, call on those possibilities? Uh, thank you, brother, for the mic. Uh, I think, first of all, I'd like to respond to something our brother just said. And I think it's, he, he was very clear and very instructive because when we look at Kwame Ture, Kwame Ture said we should organize students. However, Kwame Ture was an Nkrumah Tureist. He was not an Nkrumah Tureist Tureist. And we today accept Kwame Ture's idea as part of our ideology. He never called himself an ideologue. There are people who do. He was not one of them. He was never mechanical. He did never say, this is what we should do. He said, we should apply our tactics and our strategy to the concrete situation. We talk about the students. When we look at the students today, 
the old milieu of stu students in schools has changed overnight because of a pandemic. If you went to the campus to organize students today, you would not find anybody. Where are the students? They're at best doing lessons on computers. They're on social media, talking to each other. They're even mobilizing on social media. They're saying, we're going to meet on the corner of 23rd and King at 7 o'clock tomorrow on the social media. And you will have thousands of people out there. This demonstration that we just had with over 4,000 people was organized without dropping one leaflet. It was organized on social media. I'm saying that, yes, we need students, but the way to get them, the tactic used to get them is not the same tactic that we use three months ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. That that has changed and is changing. And unless we change, we will not be able to organize any students. So in that sense, I'm saying, as Kwame Toure would probably also say, how do we adapt to the concrete situation that exists today? How do we adapt? How do we change our tactic? How do we move to implement the question of organizing students, knowing the concrete reality of the schools? I just wanted to put that out so folks had a time to digest it and look at it. In relationship to the question that Lee raised, Brother Africa raised, of what is going on internationally in terms of the struggles, and secondly, who do we see controlling and benefiting from these struggles today? Again, Kwame Ture is correct. Unless we organize the masses of our people, including the people who are in the street tonight, today, then tomorrow they will be gone to another issue and another issue, and they will never become organized, and if they never become organized, we will never be able to achieve our liberation. Only organization, only organization can bring us to liberation. So, yes, we must look at all of these forces and see who's benefited from this mobilization. Currently, I would speculate that amongst the anger of the masses out there tonight, today, there's also agent provocateurs. There's also ultra-left. There's also Republicans or ultra-right. And when you look at all of these forces at play, it becomes a hodgepodge, but definitely 
they are not there to benefit us. Now, who may end up benefiting from some of this mobilization, I would dare to say would probably be the Democratic Party. Internationally, it is good to see that there is a live, active mass solidarity going on with the masses of the Africans in the United States. It's good to see folks in South Africa saying that they are there mobilized because of what happened to our brother in Minnesota and other brothers and sisters that have been murdered and the fact that the masses of Africans in the United States are in the street again. But there too you have mass mobilization that is not organized. For example, in South Africa, I don't think this demonstration, I see no evidence of that demonstration yesterday being organized by either the PAC, Azapo, or even the ANC, or the South African Communist Party. Who's organizing it? Or is it, again, a spontaneous feeling and sentiment that says we need to let off some steam? No, we we can't continue doing this. It's getting us nowhere. It's a waste of time and energy. We need organization. And unless these mobilization leads to organization, which it can, then it was a tragic waste of time. Thank you, bro. Hey, thank you. Right now, panelists and listening audience, you listen to Africa on the Move. Africa on the Move is a weekly program that comes on every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. Um, There's a program where we seek to deal with issues and concerns as they have impact on our communities. And we'd like to get your understanding, your environment, by calling in and sharing your ideas and your thoughts by dialing 323-679-0841. But what we're going to do, we're going to pause for the calls. When we come back, we're going to continue to discuss forces in motion, but where is it going? You listen to Africa on the Move. Passport Rev. Malcolm on Twitter featuring Napoleon the Legend. What if my had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it. This integration been disintegrating. Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation. His last speech got him assassinated. Black business was booming. It wasn't just a consumer. Controlling our narrative. We have more marriages. And see what the damage did. They ain't that bad a bitch. And welfare did it's way worse than the slavery. I'll never be an agent. I don't care what they pay me. Seemed like Nip had the same old story. If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory. Like, bro, 
Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was a mystery Supremacy will go the extent to keep their history alive All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive Who be on the internet trying to divide? And use a hotel hustler Trying to be a people of that low vibe structure Agree to disagree and we ain't gotta tear our own down Argue in silence or forever be our own downfall All I wanna say is that we're giving it away Soul ain't for sale and the devil is a fake Argue with the silence but don't let it steal our faith Right behind doors but don't ever show our face Cause if mom had Twitter Malcolm had Twitter It'd be our own people do the trolling be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause if mom had Twitter, then Malcolm had Twitter. It'd be our own people do the trolling. Just be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you're looking for be right in front of you. Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new. I said, what if we've been lied to most of our freaking lives? Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right, your arrogance precedes you. What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic. Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry. Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head. I need to spread my wings I need to Fly away I want to get High today Who got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm gonna be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already And I'm march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us Cosmic companionship sustained me After my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today, I must have bumped my head, and landed in 1940 or something, I swear, and all I have is love and joy to give, I need to spread my wings, I need to fly away. Nothing ever changes Hung by a noose Can't tell the truth Filled with abuse And everywhere there's danger How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong Stop going through these changes. We 
must prepare and learn how to care For soon we'll be there where our lives won't be in danger And when the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here And made it through my journey and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters, from Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. Our team tonight is Forces in Motion, but where is it going? This is going to be the first part of a two-part series where we talk about this pandemic global phenomena that is taking place as relates to the recent assassination of Brother George Floyd. I'm back with my panelists and back with my listening audience as we continue the discussion. And like we said earlier, we'd like to have your participation. You can do that by calling 323-679-0841 and hit 1 and we acknowledge your last four numbers. Panelists, when we look at this phenomenon that's going on today, Brother Haki, how do we maintain the control of the narrative that we want to be said and be articulated and not to continue to allow the major new new networks describe and direct the narratives of what they want it to be? For example, it seems to be a um, narrative now where the issue again has historically been switched again to the issue of violence, Africans and people of color being violence, and not dealing with the issue of police brutality. Your response, Brother Haki, how do we 
deal with that particular phenomenon. Phenomenon. Yeah. Well, well, if if, if the African masses are not uh, characterized as violent, we're characterized as thugs. So it's a typical tactic employed by the ruling class in terms of you know it's really designed to facilitate racism, and that's that's all that is. And so of course it's going to resonate with a lot of people who are right leaning, right leaning. Uh, but I think in terms of maintaining the proper narrative in the African community, it calls for brother African calls for organization, because that organization is a way conceivable to set the narrative to make sure people understand the reality of, of, of what's really going on. So one of the things is that when you talk about historical oppression of African people, you see just in terms of humanity, just in terms of being human, one of the things is that people can only tolerate so much. You know, like the um, like the quintessential bully. You know, he can only push people so far until people people fight back. And so in terms of the system, it's the same thing in terms of an oppressed people. You can only push them so far before they begin to fight back. And so this frustration, and you see this this, this kind of uh, tactics taking place, is a reflection of the kind of, not only the frustration, but a willingness in terms of actually fighting back to, to alleviate the situation that African people find themselves, and find themselves in. And you're absolutely correct. Uh, one of the things is that in terms of the narrative, one of the things you got to understand is that, you know, you, the way we're doing it now is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a momentary fix. So ultimately we have to have the organization in terms of making a long-term fix. And without that, it's no possible. But that narrative has to be created when we create institutions. Institutions, you know, and getting that information out there to the people in terms of social media, in terms of uh, to the community at large that may not have access to computers, only organization can facilitate that. So I think that to maintain that narrative, we have to have the organization because without the organization, Brother Africa, I simply don't see a way in terms of maintaining the narrative. And keep in mind, because most so many people are in tune to television, so television has a certain amount of credibility. So when those people come on the news and they say things, people tend to believe it. Of course, you and I understand, you know, uh, of those four co- telecommunication corporations that control the news, we understand that 99% of them is propaganda. But people who are not as astute may believe that, in fact, it's factual. And so that's the problem that we have. So we need organizations in terms of establishing a narrative to make sure our people understand precisely uh, the ramifications of, of, of these, uh, these tactics taking place around the country. Okay, we're going to try something that we normally don't do, Carl. We're going to bring you on, Carl. Even though you're hiding your number, but we're going to let you speak. We're going to bring in Carl on 1111. Press your comment, Carl. 1111. Oh, I didn't know the number was hidden. The brother spoke before, Brother Haki. I like what the brother was saying about reference to Quamitari. We, 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 we look at quantum and our ancestors, right, as a foundation tool to work with. But we got to take into consideration the time period that we're in. And so we had to tweak that thing a little bit. Now, at, at first I thought that, you know, a lot of things were happening in Minnesota spontaneously and no organization, because we keep saying organization, organization. But what I just got, you know, recently I got a call from um, some boots on the ground you got some people out in front that are organized. So now, what we still fail to miss is that the M is organized as well. Because I understand you got some cars that are licensed place, our town licensed place. And you got enemy coming in, setting fires. And like um, Brother Haki said, if we're not careful, we look at the media and we're thinking that we're actually doing those, setting those fires. So instead of you 
said that everybody acts spontaneous. You got some people acting spontaneous, but you got some Africans that are organized, but you got the enemy that's organized as well. So the question that Brother Africa asks is, what do we do now? Surely everybody's called. No, we need to organize. But now you got to counter those enemies, those on the outside uh, who come from out of town, who's organized as well. They've been organized for quite some time now, and knew they was gonna find a way to take this situation that happened in Minnesota, and had the media thinking that we're the ones that are doing all those things. So um, one solution, and uh, I just go think of one, and maybe Carlos can come up with other ones, is for us to start turning the cameras back on them. Because for years they've been shining cameras on us and see how we react in certain situations. And so we could do that. That's my, that's one solution. And then I'm open to hearing other solutions. Okay, anyone else like to respond to that? Yes, uh, I, I would just um, want to make a response that, that when we uh, analyze uh, anything, uh, it's positive and negative. And the positive that I do see, I do see, I don't, I'm, I say this, I'm not I'm not depending on CNN or NBC to have news or I'm not depending on Fox News to get my, my news or what's going on. Well, I've been following uh, the last feed of, you know, of, uh, on social media, uh, people from the community who are down there. And, brother, he did make a point. And I can honestly say that I do see Africans in the community who are filming uh, the, the, you know, the enemy organization who are really doing it. They, they they filming them red-handedly, breaking windows, writing uh, Black Lives Matter, and not putting their organization as, as the one who broke, you know, broke the window. So I do, I do see that as a positive. Um, as, and, as a, and you can use it as a positive with that, or a positive with technology. Um, not only filming these, not only uh, hello, oh, I'm sorry, not only filming, uh, uh, filming these killings on uh, lab. lab uh, live, you know, live recording, but we can also, you know, we also utilize our own footages, our own social media to point out who are who is who is really breaking the windows, like the like the European broke the outer zone out, uh, the white supremacy broke the uh, glass windows out of outer zone. So I do see that as a, as a uh, as as a positive. That that, that was that was my uh, quick response, and, I, and also I wanted to um, respond back to another positive that I see. Um, when you put it on an international basis, if you can, if you can recall, Brother Africa and Brother Hackey, years ago we had an event in our community, and we had some brothers from the Congo who attended the event, but they stopped at Ferguson first before, because at that time Ferguson, the uprisings in Ferguson was taking place. They was inspired to see what was going, what was going on in Ferguson, and they stopped through there prior to coming to to the event in our community, and they spoke about, you know, they spoke about you know, had the inspirations from Ferguson, seeing Africans in Ferguson uprising or, you know, or mobilizing of that sort. But I can honestly say, like, I think it was yesterday or the day before yesterday, we had Liberians who organized, you know. We had, you know, we had, we had, we had a Togonese. We had Togonese Africans in Togo say that, that uh, America is worse than the condition. American, the conditions in American, uh, in America is worse than Africa. This is this is not America is not the land of the street down. This was uh, this came out of a mouth of a sister Togo. So just I just want to point out those positives that it does it does bring a, a different light, uh, different you know different light or a different uh, construct when Africans on the continent 
seeing what's going on here. They don't see America as land of, uh, of the free right now. But I, I see an office. I just want to. I just wanted to make that clarification. Yeah. You know, brother Anthony and Carlo nine four three five. One of the things I noticed about this this phenomenon of people coming down the streets is that there seems to be a a, a plethora of different forces. Whether they're Africans, whether they're Europeans, whether they're Hispanics, you know, there are various communities and people who are singling their behavior toward the police force. Now, I think this is something I don't think they anticipated. But I also noticed in the last one, two days, they seem to be putting stories out where it would divide these people from being united. Y'all response to how do you deal with this question of trying to keep the people focused on the real enemy and not allow the media to make them think that we are enemies among each other. Brother Anthony and then call nine four three five, your response to that? Certainly. I think in terms of uh raising uh you know this anger and this mobilization uh to a higher level it be- it behooves the uh existing pan africanist organizations out here to intensify their political education efforts especially uh we uh un- unlike the unlike uh unlike the era during which uh you know the uh, you know the rebellions took place during the 60s there there, there are more pan africanist organizations now but uh the the pan african movement as a result of various splits and schisms and what have you is fragmented right now but those that do exist, that do, uh, you know, subscribe to incrumism, terrorism, or believe, uh, you know, are guided by uh, some other revolutionary ideology, they must intensify their work among the masses of the people, uh, you know, uh, to the extent that their labor and resources allow and uh we got a uh you know uh master you know the technology that exists but i think what is critical is uh is the political education of our people especially in the in, during the during the domination of neocolonialism which Nkrumah directly described as the most dangerous form of imperialism because uh you know primarily because uh the face of the enemy looks like us and that's what we're confronted with right now and uh that's a fundamental uh that's a a, a drastic difference between what had happened in earlier decades when we were uh suffering from police uh repression uh but i think uh, you know, I think the existing Pan-Africanist organizations have a critical role to play in that. And uh, there are a lot of competing forces that are exploiting the emotions that Africans feel. But one with uh, one uh, one uh, positive I see is that this is uh, 
this is going international much more quickly than it has done in the past and that Africans around the world can relate to what we're going through. So I think that's a, that's something a positive that we could take, and I think the existing Pan-Africanist organizations have a critical role to play in order to uh, try to intensify political education amongst that people. Nine four three five. Your response, uh, Brother Africa. Could you raise the question again? Yeah, I said, how do you deal with the narrative today, in which it seems to be from the press they are trying to divide the forces they are protesting? I don't think you were prepared to see a response from people from European communities, African communities, you know, Latino communities. You name them. They seem to have all come out against this um, criminal police force. And now the media seem to try to create narratives where they try to divide the people against each other. How do we keep that from happening? What should we be looking out for to try to not to allow us to be divided and turn inwards on on ourselves against each other? Uh, That one, I think, is a little easy. I think it's just a matter of us controlling the narrative, of us interpreting the events that's occurring. It's like the old African proverb that says, until the lion learns to write, the stories will always come out the same where the man kills the lion. I think that now is for us. We have... uh, here, Africa on the Move, who does an excellent job on informing the people of our current situation. Uh, if that's true, then you now have some more events that you have to inform the people about and give a correct interpretation to. Okay. Panelists and participants, last question for tonight. Let me ask that question. Yes, who would like to respond? Yeah, the caller. um, um, Organization, it it has at least two parts. One, you got disarmed enemy. And two, affirm opposition. Let's go to history. History, the media portrayed the nation of Islam negatively. They portrayed Malcolm X negatively. They portrayed Black Panther Party negatively. But independent lenses such as Gordon Parks and others showed the Black Panther Party having food programs, health programs, educational programs. So we can do that. Another thing is that when we're organizing, a lot of our messages is carried through music, through the art, music, drama, Primarily music. Now you got these artists now, they're not conscious yet, but they're they're in the mix. And they can carry that message. Message can be traveled a lot faster through these artists, these musical genius that haven't been directed properly. 
so we can we can get it, our message done that way. That's right, bro. Let me let me let me let me just interject real quickly, uh, to the brother. Uh, here's the thing: there's a rapper called Immortal Technique, uh, the predecessor to Chuck D of uh, Public Enemy. This brother's stuff is sharp. I mean, all his stuff is historical. I mean, it's sharp. I mean, this is guys one of the probably most um, gifted lyricists I've ever heard. But check out Immortal Technique. I mean, the problem is that uh, he. I mean, his stuff is. I mean, his. His stuff, I mean, his stuff is so sharp. The problem is that a lot of the youth don't understand what he's saying. Based upon the youth I've talked, spoken to about you know, immortal technique, you know, when I play something for them, you know, they don't, you know, they can't, they don't really grasp what he's saying because his stuff is that sharp. So there's still a tremendous amount of work that has to be done in the community in terms of enlightening our people, bringing our people up to speed. And I think one of the problems also in terms of the movement is that one of the things we have to do, we have to incorporate more economics in terms of our discussions. We have to. Because we can talk about police brutality, but you know what? People see police brutality, they see that's an isolated incident. But once they understand economically why police brutality is viable, why it exists, then they begin to make the connection between the system and all the ills of society. So, you know, just not to belabor the point, but but there are rappers out there who actually are coming with very strong, very intelligent messages, you know, around, you know, our struggles and the problems that uh, permeate the society. My final question for tonight, for all of you, is that Kwame Ture in his presentation earlier talks about since 1945 the masses need to be a mass party. When we talk about police brutality and oppression against African people and people in oppressed communities, you must look at the two parties, the Democratic and Republican Party. How much blame and responsibility do we put on these two parties? for these continuations of the police assassination by our brothers and sisters who live in our communities. How much responsibility should we and do they hold responsible for it since they claim to be the dominant parties of this society? Each panelist speak to the responsibility and the role of the Democratic and Republican Party. Siding with you, Brother Anthony. Yes, they play a they play a major role in uh, in the perpetuation of uh, the police state. They are uh, they are the ruling uh, capitalist du- duopoly. So uh, this uh, you, you you know this uh, situation uh, lies right at their doorstep, uh, and uh, and uh, we need to and the the error we made. Is that we went into the into these two uh, two parties without first being organized among ourselves, and uh, I th- I think that's the, one of the most critical lessons uh, we need to take from this is that we need to form our own independent political organizations. Uh, not everybody agrees with, uh, may, may agree with each other at this point, but is, uh, but, but we have to belong to a political organization and that's the mistake we've been making has we've been repeating historically is that we go into, uh, or organizations or fronts and coalitions Without first being organized among ourselves, 
Brother Hackey, your response? I don't think there's a fundamental difference between the two, Brother Africa. Uh, the, the fundamental uh, supposition of your question uh, suggests that there's a difference between the two. Uh, there's no difference between the two. In my estimation, they're, they're pretty much the same party. As Malcolm said, two sides of the same coin. So in that regard, I don't expect them to address the issues that fundamentally impact the African community. After all, let's be very, very candid about this. When we talk about in terms of the number of billionaires you know, in the Congress, uh, they're not just Republicans. They're also uh, uh, Democrats. And so you have, they have a vested interest in terms of maintaining the status quo. Uh, when you recently look at the terms of the, uh, the, the candidacy of, uh, of uh, Bernie Sanders and look at what the Democratic Party did to him in terms of undermining you know, his, his, his run for the presidency, clearly that interest doesn't rely with the masses of people, doesn't, specifically doesn't rely with the interests of African people. So therefore, you know, uh, in terms of impact the redress in terms of problems that we're confronted with, Fundamentally, it has to be African people to confront their problems. I mean, there's, there's no way around that. So if we think for one second that the Democratic or Republican Party is going to restructure this economy to bring about justice, then we're sadly mistaken. So I think there's no fundamental difference between the two, and we have to understand that in terms of, you know, as, as we organize. Okay, thank you, Brother Hackey. Call 111, your response. I don't. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, we can call. I don't know for sure, but I don't think Kwame Terry was talking about political parties, Republican, Democrat. I think he was talking about the Liberation Party. He might not have called it that, but I think he thought he was talking about the Africans having this one goal, and this liberation of African people, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Muslim or Christian or Jew or whatever your your um, economic status is, that, that would be the party that amasses us the masses of the people, African people, should be focused on. Okay, thank you, Carla. Brother Maurice, your response. Yes, so basically, I'm not a boxer, but I watch boxing. And in boxing, and what I do know about boxing is when you try to knock your opponent out, you go for the head. You don't go for the arms. You don't go for a right arm or a left arm. So let's imagine, if you will, the arms being representing the Democratic, the right arm representing Democrats, and the, and the left arm representing the Republican Party. We, 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 at this point, we, we are boxing, and we're fighting the arms. We, we, we're tit for tatting, hitting the arms and getting knocked out in our heads. Now, the head is capitalism. Is on, I mean, the head is imperialism and capitalism on our uh, opponent. We need to knock that out. We need to go for the head, stop going for, 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 the, for the head, to stop smacking arms and, 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 and jabbing arms. Of, of Republican and Democratic parties of voting or playing, playing around, dilly-dallying. Uh, we need to go for that and ask for, like, ask for organi- organizing. I know we're not going to agree. I know political organizations, this is not, we, I don't want to be idealist and, and, and be fantasizing or romanticizing that all political revolutionary organizations are going to agree. Yes, we're fragmented. But the one thing we got to agree on is our, is our uh, enemy. We got if we have the same enemy, that's all we need. And our enemy, if we can agree that our enemies right now is neocolonialism, capitalism, imperialism, colonialism, or any form of of oppression, but the main top four we need to get at right now that we need to uh, spit out our our mouse as our opponent or our enemy is is neocolonialism, capitalism, imperialism. Those those are the main three what we need to fight right now because they produce the other stuff, uh, white supremacy, homelessness. Poverty, yeah, all that stuff comes from the, uh, the 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 grandmother of imperialism, which which was built off slavery of Africans and off minerals and land of Africa. 
So if we can understand that and stop tilly-tallying with the arms of, of, of Democrats or Republicans, it would be good night. So I, I conclude with that. Call it 945, your response to what responsibilities do the I'm, in, I'm in total agreement with your, your panelists and your callers because uh, it is clear that a political party and as a science of political, a political scientist, as we look at political parties, all political parties represent a specific economic interest. All of them. I was in Guinea, and in Guinea, unfortunately, they had almost 43 parties running for the presidency, including the soccer party of Guinea. But in fact, there were only two parties that represented, well, there was only two economic interests that was represented. And one economic interest was represented by the bulk of the parties that were running. So in fact, all of those parties were the same party. In the United States, you get Democrat and Republican Party. Both parties represent the capitalist economic interests, both of them. They are unabashedful about it. They will tell you up front. That's what they represent. So, in fact, while they tell you there are two different parties, there are two different factions of the same party. For us, our economic interest is not capitalism and imperialism. So whatever party we talk about must be looked on as a party that represents a different interest from the interests of the Democrat and Republican parties. Our party, the All African People's Revolutionary Party, represents the economic interests of socialism. It's clear. We can see the difference. We don't hide it. We, like the Democrat and Republican Party, are also unabashedful about what economic interests we represent, what economic interests we strive for. We strive for the interests that will benefit the masses of our people. And that's clear. And on that note, we'd like to thank all of our cast participants, panelists who are coming forward today. As we discussed part one of a two-part series dealing with forces in motion, but where is it going? We'd like to encourage you to listen to the audience to tune in every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., to have a dialogue with us, because our intent is to bring you information. Remember, Without information, you cannot think. And we also want to bring you organizations, because without organizations, you cannot think clearly. So we encourage you to join the organization that doing something to help liberate your people. Until next time, any views or comments you have, you can feel free to send them to AfricaOnTheMood2 at gmail.com. That's AfricaOnTheMood2 at gmail.com. So we will continue to strive to go forward our 
backwards level, and we will now bring you some liberation mu- music for tonight. And we look forward to seeing you next week, same time, same place. And we too would like to remind you that not yet you you are not yet free and not yet liberated. This has been Africa on the move.
know that's part of the plan. Why? Cause rap music is in full demand. Understand? If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed. We need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love.
a brother There's far too many of you die You know we've got to find Yo ya como comerse una arena. 
hablamos. Y lo que más me alegra, la gente latina siempre será gente negra. Comandante, te amo. Que Dios te bendiga. ¿Dónde está Maranta? El Amaranta y el Pinky, ¿dónde están? ¿No? La cantera. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.